Good morning. So whoever has these glasses, I'm moving them because they're going to get slung. I'm pretty confident. I'm going to stick them on this corner. Steve, you were doing that. I'm just sitting there shaking my head. That ain't going to work. <laughs> I, I know myself too well. Welcome. Yeah. So apparently he knows Valerie too well too. All right. So we're starting a new book of the Bible today. And uh, if you have joined us after Easter and you're just kind of looking for a church, seeing if this might be the place for you, um, you've come at a great time. Again, we're, you're coming at the beginning of something new. We're going to go through the book of Second Timothy. And this is what we do. We basically alternate Old Testament book, New Testament book. We've been going through a long series of four Old Testament books right now, First and Second Samuel, and we're about halfway through First Kings. We will finish that up. We'll pick that back up in the fall and finish that a little bit before Christmas. But um, as we were talking about things, we just thought it would be a nice chance to take a break from that. Um, you know, it, it kind of felt like the sermons were getting to, this king's horrible, we need Jesus. And so we're going to let everybody breathe a little bit from that and jump into 2 Timothy. And 2 Timothy um, is an awesome, awesome book. I, my heart and soul have just been blessed. So this is not going to be a typical sermon. Um, this is a tradition we started not too long ago, but where we have a shorter book, we read the entire book of the Bible the first time we, we open it up. And so this is a practice. This is how the early church began um, as they were there developing and, and pastors were learning what it meant to be pastors. They would just read chunks of scripture. And so we'll do that. So if you don't have a Bible with you, please do grab one of those black ones. Um, that are there in the chair backs in front of you and open it up to Second Timothy. Um, that is going to be on page 995. But I wanted to show you a couple things and tell you what's in the bulletin. Normally I have kind of a sermon guide that you can track through and take some notes with. Again, since this is a little bit of an intro, we're going to go through a couple verses of Scripture. But I tried to kind of produce like a cheat sheet for Second Timothy for you. So on the back is some resources just to kind of read about this subject. Um, we'll talk a little bit more about what 2 Timothy talks about. And it also has our preaching schedule on there so you can know what's coming up. But the real reason that we put that on there and the most important for, reason for that is so that you can be reading these passages ahead of time and afterwards. So just for what I do, and this everybody's different, you, you know how your brains work better than I ever would. But for me, I start reading the passage we're going to preach on Thursday or Friday, and I'll just read it once or twice. And uh, if it's a longer passage, maybe just one chapter of it a day. But um, when it's in a short, uh, shorter book like this, just read it a few times and kind of let it start sitting in your head and making its way on that, that very long journey, those 12 inches, 18 inches from our heads to our hearts. And then once you hear the sermon, think on that, reflect on that, maybe talk about it with your community group. But then the next couple days, read that passage again. Let that passage just soak in. Um, when the scripture talks about meditating on God's word, I think this is, this is what it's getting at, is really absorbing that scripture. And so uh, that's what's going on. There are some weird names in 2 Timothy because Paul, it's a very personal letter. You'll hear that. Paul names off like dudes you don't even want to pronounce their name kind of thing. And a couple of ladies, the ladies have a little more reasonable names. But um, there's a kind of a cheat sheet of those on the back as well. And then some just discipleship resources. I want to show you the first one listed is a new resource out from Crossway. Um, it's called the Illuminated Journaling Bible. I am loving these. 
It is um, just scripture text. There's nothing in it but scripture, but it's great big font scripture for those of us who, you know, need glasses. Um, Dr. Fred can take care of you on that. Or you can buy one of these, and uh, it has nice big 12-point font and nice white space on there and space to take notes. Um, so I'm just getting one of these for every book we go through, and I just take my notes from the sermons right in there. That way I've got everything together. It's little. Um, you can stick things in a purse, ladies. I keep mine in my um, briefcase backpack, and I always have something I can just pull out and read and study um, a little bit. So highly recommend those. They're cheap. They're like four bucks, too. Um, and so that might be something you want to think about uh, as we get into this book of Second Timothy. So here we go. Um, I wanted to share a story, not for the, the drama of it or the hit, but because I think it, it gets to the heart of Second Timothy. And 12 years ago, uh, I was serving at a church in Texas. Uh, I was still in seminary. I was part-time there. But one of the things I did was, was once a week when I didn't have any classes, I would go out and visit hospitals and visited a mom in the hospital. I was the children's pastor there. I had her kiddos. Um, I had six kiddos, uh, four biological, two adopted, and just an amazing, sweet family. A lot of fun. I mean, their kids were just a ball. And I'd been at their house many times, and she uh, had had a diabetic issue. She was in the hospital, but she was doing better. She was smiling. She was happy. And I remember the things we talked about. We talked about her kids, of course, and just how everybody was doing and how they were holding up with mom being in the hospital. She talked about how they'd come up here, and she said it was, it was quite a scene, you know, on the hospital floor. Six kiddos paraded in to see mom, and um, all the nurses got a laugh out of it and enjoyed that. We talked about how horrible the hospital food was, how excited she was to go home, get real food. We talked about her husband had left, and he was driven home get everything ready. He was going to throw a frozen meal in the oven to be ready when they got home. But about two hours after that, I was back in that same hospital room. And the demeanor was very different because the doctors and nurses had missed a blood clot. And that woman died. It's there with her husband. It's there with her teenage two teenage kiddos, just the, the grief and the tears that came from them. The nurses were still there. We, we were trying to figure out what had happened at that point. After some discussion, we found out I was the last person to speak with her. It had a deep impact on me. It was the first time in my life I'd been that close to the death of a person. Her husband and her two teenagers, when they found that out, they wanted to know every word she'd spoken. They wanted to know what she wanted for lunch. That's not normally that important of a conversation. They wanted to know what she'd said about the kids. Every single one of them. Her last words were gold to them. Not because of what the words were, but because of how much they dearly loved her wife or mom, respectively. They hung on those last words that she had spoken. 
we're about to just get a glimpse to the relationship between a young Christian man, younger than me, who lived during the reign of the Emperor Nero. It was the year 67 AD. It was a dark year for Christians. He'd grown up with a Christian mother and grandmother, and and things seemed to be going well for Christians. We don't have any records of his father. He trusted Christ. He'd become a missionary. He was recruited by the Apostle Paul. He traveled all over, starting churches for 11 years. So all of his formative years were spent on the mission field. Can you imagine the stories this young man must have been able to tell about Paul? But this young man, Timothy, was, was now in his adult job, his, his big boy job. He was serving as the pastor of what was probably the largest church in the world at the time. Church of Ephesus. He'd been there four years and things didn't particularly look good. The church itself was getting pulled by all the philosophy and all the spiritual trends that wanted to grab them away from the true faith. See, Ephesus was a huge city. It was an affluent city. They had money. They had power. They had influence. They had education. They had one of the wonders of the seven, seven ancient wonders of the world was right there. The temple of Artemis. But it wasn't as good as it seemed. Because all those things had this just draw away from Christ. Sexual immorality was lived out publicly. It was celebrated as pleasing to the gods. Sounds a lot like today. Worldliness was grabbing them because most of the Christians weren't the wealthy ones. But not only that, the emperor Nero had started blaming Christians for the burning of Rome. And he was just executing them for the fun of it. And now Paul, his friend, his companion, and the man who had been a dad to him, was in prison in Rome. Not a clean, nice prison. Something we would probably call a dungeon. This wasn't the first time he was in prison, but it would be the last. Paul had been in prison before. He actually was able to get out. He went on another missionary trip. We think to Spain. That's not in the scripture. That's kind of our guess. But he was captured again. He was put on trial and made an example to other Christians by the Romans. Paul will die the death of a criminal after suffering long in a dungeon. He he writes about Timothy coming to see him in the winter and most people don't think he lived that long. And this young man, when he got this letter that Tychicus delivered, I know, I told you weird names in this one. When Tychicus brought this scroll to this young man, he heard the words Not as some random guy, a pastor out there or something. It it was the words of a father, a mentor, a friend. It was the man who taught Timothy how to be a pastor. It was the man who taught him how to follow Jesus. He would have grabbed onto it like my friends did these words of their dying mom. So let's open it up. We're going to look at the first seven verses here. Second Timothy, we'll start on 
chapter 1, verse 1. Again, we'll, we'll read seven verses here and just talk about them. And then I'm going to read the whole thing in just a moment. So we're just going to break down these first few verses. And there's some very traditional things about how Romans wrote letters. And Paul was a highly educated Roman, so he, he followed tradition, so to speak. But look with me at verse 1 there, and, and we'll see that. The, it starts, they're the opposite of how we do. We always sign our letters with our name. They started with who wrote it. So this is who wrote it. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, according to the promise of the life that is in Christ Jesus. Now, Paul, this is the missionary I've told you about, writer of a good chunk of the New Testament. He was a former persecutor of the church. He hated Christ and Christians and was setting out to be the one who killed them. And then about 22 years later, he's in that same boat. But look at what he says there. This, this was one of the things as I was reading and just soaking this letter in this week that just grabbed me, particularly after Easter Sunday and reading about Christ's resurrection. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, according to the promise of the life that is in Christ Jesus. Condemned men don't tend to brag about life. But Paul knew his life was much bigger than what this earthly body could contain. He had the very life of Christ Jesus within him. In verse 2, to Timothy, my beloved child. Get the words there. These may be, and Paul knows this, they, they were. They, he didn't know this at the time, but he thought this might be it. And he calls him my child. And there's a traditional greeting. This is, this is very traditional in Roman writing. Grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. In verse 3, look down. We're going to see kind of a, a, a little intro, so to speak, of the letter. I thank God whom I serve, as did my ancestors, with a clear conscience, as I remember you constantly in my prayers night and day. And as I remember your tears, I long to see you, that I may be filled with joy. Paul genuinely missed his young friend. It brought him to the point of heartache. But, but Paul channeled this emotion into a prayer for Timothy. I can miss and worry about someone for hours and hours and hours and do that person no good and harm my own spiritual life and in extreme cases, my own health. I mean, how many of us worry about our kids, our spouse, our health, our families? Our jobs. How many of us sit up at night literally making ourselves sick? Paul knew what to do. Paul went to God in prayer for Timothy when he was hurting for Timothy. He, he channeled these natural human desires, this, this heartache, into something spiritually good rather than letting him lead him rather than letting them lead him into the sin of worry and anxiety. How many of us would just see a transformation 
in our hearts if we took this to heart. And just think, that's just us. Then we're actually praying to the God who can do something about this. What if we prayed all that time we used to worry? What would God do? Can you imagine how we would see our lives and our friends and our families transformed, our kids If we would just pray, that's a bonus sermon, by the way. That's not really where we're going. Verse five, I'm reminded of your sincere faith. All right, we're we're getting to the kind of heart of the letter, the intro, the sincere faith. And look where this faith comes from. I'm reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that first dwelt in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now I am sure dwells in you. This whole book is going to be talking about how to be a good disciple. How to be a good follower of Christ. That's what disciple means. It's someone who follows someone else. And we're going to talk about things like guarding the purity of the gospel. I mean, that's doctrine, that's belief, that's teaching. We're going to talk about suffering faithfully. We're going to talk about sharing the gospel with others. We're going to talk about how to deal with hurtful and spiritually dark people that come into our life. We talk about moral holiness more and more and more. But, but there's a presupposition to this book, and this is exactly where Paul gets to. There's something that comes first for Paul before he gets to all of that. And, and even if P- Timothy had got all that Paul had said, everything that's prescribed through the book, he still wouldn't be a good disciple if it wasn't for this first key component. Not only would he not be a good disciple, He wouldn't be a disciple at all. Disciple is someone who follows, who loves, and who learns from Jesus. And before any of that can happen, you have to know Jesus. Um, I got to sit in on the first meeting of our new uh, young adults class um, this week. And so if any of you are interested in Sunday school, you're you're younger... um, and so I had to define that for the former young adults class who are not young anymore. They're my age. You know, we're all 40. And so if, if you're that, this isn't for you. This is the younger adults, like actually young. All right. Um, if you're having babies, if you're not married yet in college, getting out of college, um, starting a career, this is the place for you. Chuck Parker is going to be teaching that. Um, but it's just to the right. But, but this morning he was talking about there's a difference between knowing about salvation and knowing the Christ who is salvation. That's good stuff right there. That's exactly what Paul was getting at here. It's not just that we need to know what it means to be saved. And we do need to know that. We need to actually be saved. We need to actually have faith in Christ. And look at how this happened for Timothy. This is this is almost the model here. This is this is what we want. This is what I want for my kids. This is what I was blessed to have myself. Was parents and grandparents who knew Christ. But for Timothy, it happened from a mom and a grandma. What a testimony. Timothy, dude, in the he has books in the Bible named after him. And it starts with a mom and a grandma. I'm so grateful for my mother, my grandmother's faith. 
that they taught that to me. But think about that. Parents in here who are trying to read the Bible with your kids and, you know, there's... It, it always seems like the, the potty, the hungry, the, you know, the dog starts barking. And I mean, it, it is nothing harder than try to read the Bible with your kids. And there's nothing more fun either. Let me encourage you. I, it's hard, yes. But man, it's awesome. And to see kids when they start to get it, man, there is nothing better in a parent's heart. Yesterday, my son said something I was just like, you've actually been listening. I'm so proud of him. I mean, there's nothing that he could not have worn my heart anymore. Like, he got it. Not, not just little, like a little thing, you know, yes, I know about Joshua and Jerry. Like, he got it. Man, there's nothing better. So parents, let me commend you and commend you Teach your kids. Share the gospel with your kids. There was a um, pastor about 150 years ago who was talking about an arguing for teaching your kids the Scripture. It's hard to imagine we had to have an argument for that. But apparently, in that day, they didn't think kids could get it. And he said, don't you understand when you're pouring the word into your kiddos, you don't have these dramatic big conversions where somebody is, you know, on drugs and about to go to jail and suddenly they accept Christ and everything's cuddly and warm, except they have all that baggage and junk. He said, I pray and I pray for my children and yours that I'd have trouble telling which day they trusted Christ. I know they did it, but I couldn't tell which day it was because they're already loving Jesus. That's, that was a powerful word to me. That hit me so hard that this is the same struggle parents have been having for 150 years, like I say, and all the way back to this. I don't want my kids to have this big drama story about salvation. I don't want them to have that baggage. I want them to know Jesus and follow Him every second of every day that they can. So parents, let me encourage you. Don't make it rocket science. You don't have to set, you don't need to buy a pulpit, okay? All right, there's dads in here whose brains were already there. I promise you that. They were planning the pulpit. Don't need that. It's sitting down around a table, reading the Bible, reading books like Everything Your Child Needs to Know About Prayer. Nancy Guthrie, that's what we're doing right now. Oh, awesome book this is where timothy started her his parents desire his mom and grandmother discipled him even pre-discipled him evangelized him and if you didn't have that i understand paul didn't by the way i mean so consider the context paul didn't but if you didn't have that Think about how good it would have been and then go do that for somebody else. Even if you don't have kiddos of your own, maybe your kiddos are grown, do that for your grandchild. Do that for your great-grandchild. Do that for that young man or that young lady that you see. I will never forget um, when I was doing an interview and studying a church plant that was about eight years old at the time and hearing what kept that church together. 
What kept the pastor from leaving was a single 20-year-old lady. Because the pastor had a teenage daughter, and there were no other teenage daughters. And he had decided, I'm going to have to go somewhere else to take care of my daughter. So she has friends. She has someone who will love on her. And she's a part of a church. And without even knowing all that was going on in her pastor's mind, she started discipling this girl. She took her out for coffee. Rocket science, right? Took a teenager out for coffee and just talked to her about Jesus. Read scripture together and then talked about everything teenage girls like to talk about. She did it over and over. That was three years into that church. Right now, Redeemer Church in Birmingham has over 2,500 members. When I was there, I was the youngest person other than the pastor. Think about the lives touched by that one 20-year-old lady. So don't miss these opportunities. Don't miss it. But I want to pull out a second thing that's going on. I want to, I want to make sure we see this. Read with me again verse 5. I'm reminded of your sincere faith. A faith that first dwelt in your mother Lois, excuse me, your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now I am sure dwells in you as well. See, this wasn't just Eunice and Lois's faith. This was Timothy's faith. I see a lot of students right now. They're just coasting through life spiritually. You just don't care. You put work into sports and academics and dance and scouts and whatever it might be for you. And you're just riding on mom and dad's faith. You don't have anything going on spiritually. Let me assure you that will do you no good. Think about this. Students, particularly, I want you to think about this with me. If you went to apply for a job as a nurse, and let's say maybe your mom and dad were a nurse. I don't know of anybody who might have that problem over here. You know. Anyway, but your mom and dad are a nurse, and, and you went out there, and you went to apply for a nurse, and you filled out the application, and everywhere you put, what is your qualification? My mom's a nurse, and my dad's a nurse. And they asked you, are, are you a nurse? Well, I've never been to school, but I'm pretty sure I can get, I mean, watch my mom and dad. Like, they're good at this. There is no fool in this building who would let them put a Band-Aid on you, right? That does not qualify you to be a nurse. And even more so, that does not make you a Christian. Jesus is not inherited. He's loved. He's trusted. Jesus must be trusted and loved by every repentant heart. Maybe some of you need that today. Maybe some of you need to grasp for the first time that Jesus Christ died for your sins. The God, the Son who became man, the God-man who died, rose again. He died for you. He offers you forgiveness. And you need to turn from your sins to Christ and trust Him. 
Maybe it's never been you. Would you just take that in a moment today? I know I, any of our elders, some of the folks sitting on this same row, just grab them afterwards and say, yeah, it's time for me. Some of you kids, maybe it's time to make Christ your own. Students, the same. Then Paul goes on, verse 6. For this reason, in other words, because you have faith, because it's started, for this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God. So God saved you. He's done this amazing thing. He's given you His Spirit. He's transformed you from the kingdom of darkness to the domain of light. He has changed everything. So fan this gift, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. Timothy was a pastor. Paul had installed him. For God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. See, Timothy was given God the Holy Spirit to dwell within him. It's a promise Christ made to us. He wasn't going to leave us alone when he ascended back to the Father. So God has said, I've given you a gift if you're a believer. My spirit. My salvation, this transformation, and now fan this thing into flame. We were burning some brush yesterday, and I got it going. And of course, I, you know, in in great wisdom, I just dumped everything in the fire pit, and it couldn't get any air, and I had trouble getting the dumb thing going. All right, so I, you know, put the put the dryer lint through that through the match in, and it just fluffed and nothing, a lot of smoke. It wasn't. Till I you know, got the cardboard and started shaking some air at it. But that thing got going. And this is what it is. This book of 2 Timothy, it's like that piece of cardboard to flow and push that air onto your faith. And get it burning like a consuming fire. So what we're going to do now is read and, and take in the whole of this book and you, you'll get the weight of this passion and love that Paul has. So listen to this. This is the last words of a man on death row. As he read. We'll start again in verse 1 and read the whole book. Paul an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God according to the promise of life that is in Christ Jesus. To Timothy, my beloved child, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. I thank God whom I serve as did my ancestors with a clear conscience as I remember you constantly in my prayers night and day. As I remember your tears, I long to see you, that I may be filled with joy. I am reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now I am sure dwells in you as well. For this reason, I remind you, fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. 
Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God, who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he began, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began. And now has been manifested through the appearing of our Savior, Christ Jesus, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel, for which I was appointed a preacher and an apostle and a teacher, and which is why I suffer as I do. But I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, and I am convinced that he is able to guard unto that day what has been entrusted me, Follow the pattern of sound words that you have heard from me in faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. By the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, guard the good deposit entrusted to you. You are aware that all who are in Asia turned away from me, among whom are Phygonus and Hermogenes. May the Lord grant mercy to the household of Honest Forest. For he often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chains. But when he arrived in Rome, he searched for me earnestly and he found me. May the Lord grant him to find mercy from the Lord on that day. You know well all the service he rendered at Ephesus. You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witness entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. An athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. It's the hardworking farmer who ought to get the first share of the crops. Think over what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David as preached in my gospel, for which I am suffering, bound with chains as a criminal. But the word of God is not bound. Therefore, I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. For this saying is trustworthy. For if we have died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we deny him, he will deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful. For he cannot deny himself. Remind them of these things. And charge them before God not to quarrel about words. Which does no good but only ruins the hearers. Do your best to present yourselves as God. As one approved. A worker who does not. Who has no need to be ashamed. Rightly handling the word of truth. But avoid irreverent babble, for it will lead people into more and more ungodliness, and their talk will spread like gangrene. Among them are Hymenaeus and Philetus, who have swerved from the truth, 
saying that the resurrection has already happened, they are upsetting the faith of some. But God's firm foundation stands, bearing this seal. The Lord knows who are those who are His, and let everyone who names the name of the Lord depart iniquity. Now in a great house, there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay, some for honorable use, some for dishonorable. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from what is dishonorable, he'll be a vessel for honorable use, set apart as holy, useful to the master of the house for every good work. So flee youthful passions and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace, along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart, have nothing to do with foolish, ignorant controversies. You know that they breed quarrels. And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness. God may perhaps grant them repentance, leading to a knowledge of the truth, and they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his will. Chapter 3. But understand this, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty, for people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness but denying its power, avoid such people. For among them are those who creep into households and capture weak women, burdened with sin and led astray by various passions, always learning and never able to arrive at a knowledge of the truth. Just as Janus and Jambres opposed Moses, so these men also opposed the truth. Men corrupted in the mind and disqualified regarding the faith. But they will not get very far. For their folly will be plain to all, as with those of those two men. You, however, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim of life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and sufferings. What happened to me at Antioch and Iconium and Lystra? Which persecutions I endured? Yet from all of them the Lord rescued me. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted while evil people and impostors will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you have learned it and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good 
work. I charge you in the presence of God in Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by His appearing in His kingdom, preach the Word. Be ready in season, out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching. But having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. And will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. As for you, be sober-minded, enduring suffering. Do the work of an evangelist. Fulfill your ministry. For I am already being poured out as a drink offering. The time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I've kept the faith. Henceforth, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have loved His appearing. Do your best to come to me soon. For Demas, in love with this present world, has deserted me. Gone to Thessalonica. Crescens has gone to Galatia. Titus to Dalmatia. Luke alone is left with me. Get Mark and bring him with you, for he is very useful to me for ministry. Tychicus, I have sent to Ephesus. When you come, bring the cloak that I left with Carpus at Troas, also the books, and above all the parchments. Alexander the coppersmith did me great harm. The Lord will repay him according to his deeds. Beware of him yourself, for he is strongly opposed to our message. At my first defense, no one came to stand by me. But all deserted me. May it not be charged against them. But the Lord stood by me and strengthened me so that through me the message might be fully proclaimed and all the Gentiles might hear it. So I was rescued from the lion's mouth. The Lord will rescue me from every evil deed and bring me safely into His heavenly kingdom. To Him be glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet Prisca and Aquila and the household of Honest Forest. Erastus remained at Corinth and I left Trophonus, who was ill at Miletus. Do your best to come before winter. Eubulus sends greetings to you as do Prudence and Linus and Claudia and all the brothers. The Lord be with your spirit. Grace be to you. Hear this call of a dead man walking. Be a good disciple. Hear the call of a father 
to his son. Be a good disciple. Here's the call of a friend. Writing out his last words to the man he's spent the last 15 years with. Be a good disciple. Let's pray as our team comes up to lead us in another song. God, we need this letter. We need your word because we are not who we ought to be. We don't love you like we ought. We don't follow you like we ought. God, we beg of you to make us a good disciple. Lord, I pray for any of those here today, maybe the words that you wrote through Paul so many years ago, 2,000 years ago to Titus, that I see a faith in you, that I know it's real. Or maybe those words have cut home. Someone realized they're not a disciple at all. Lord, we pray that you would save them and give them faith and repentance. Lord, help us. May we sing and worship and respond to you truly. Give us you, Jesus. It's because of you we pray. Amen.